Hello, it's great to be with you. It's uh, lovely to be back again. I, I, I don't. I come to this church, well, I think, three times a year. So it's not for me to to comment really on things that happen here, but just far too judgmental on the chocolate thing, Ben, as far as I'm concerned. Far too. I mean, one of them's one of them's called celebration after all, so we should do that absolutely. But uh, it is good to be here. I've um, uh, I've been down this week in Cornwall. Uh, as many of you know, I work for the Fishermen's Missions. I've not been on holiday. I've been uh, I've been working down there, and uh, we've had a, a fundraisers uh, meeting for this last week in Cornwall, postponed from before COVID. So it's the only time we've got together for about three or four years. So it's been uh, been really really quite valuable. And then just um, you know, I'm not going to go on a lot about the fisherman's mission this morning. Just this little bit, very quickly now. But just um, just to give you a breadth, really, in, in a few sentences of uh, of the work there, I was talking to the. Uh, the port missioner or the port officer down in Newlyn uh, this week and I said what was your what was your week been like he said well on Saturday we had a boat went down with two guys on board uh, the they had a life raft so they were rescued uh, but they're still suffering from the trauma of that and of course their livelihood has just vanished overnight just gone bottom of the sea that's the end of that uh, he said and then uh, uh, during the week I also sat for uh, every afternoon this week, I've been sitting with a, a retired fisherman who's in hospice, and it's his last few days. Uh, no family, no friends. Uh, he's the only person I've got. Uh, I'm the only person he's got to sit through these last few hours. He said, uh, I took a phone call middle of the night from a fisherman who was uh, about to end it all, decided that his life couldn't carry on. So chat with him for a couple of hours. And then I spent some time with a, another retired fisherman living in a very not a very salubrious part of Newlyn, and uh, we were helping him uh, nail wooden boards to the skirting of his house to stop the rats getting in. So, you know, <laughs> you think about fishing and fishermen, you don't you necessarily put all those things together. Uh, but that's a, an untypical week, I would say, to be absolutely fair, but it's the sort of things that we deal with uh, in the Fisherman's Mission. So we do uh, very much value your, your prayers and your support. So thank you for, for praying for us and supporting us as well. It means an awful lot. And it means we can be that compassion of Christ in those sorts of situations uh, around our coastline. But it was a good, good trip. I enjoyed my time down in Cornwall. Ben said, how did you find the drive? Well, being sensible, I went by train. Okay, so uh, uh, I left uh, half past ten, I think, on, um, on Monday morning to go from Bury, Bury St. Edmunds to, uh, to Truro. And uh, the train was, del- the whole journey was delayed by two hours. Where did I get stuck? Between Bury St. Edmunds and Newmarket. Okay, so there we go. All that way to go, and the majority of the time was spent. But it's a blessing in disguise, because I thought, well, I'd use both of those long journeys to, to write this sermon. So rather than this being just the normal hour, hour and a half, it's three hours long this morning. So, yeah, excellent. Jolly good. Right, can we have the PowerPoint up? That would be fantastic. Okay, so it is good to be here. And this is, I think it's the final part, I do believe, of your Sunday School uh, Theology series. And hopefully that this time has been uh, inspiring and useful as these uh, Sunday School stories are dusted off and put back in the spotlight. And I seriously enjoyed preparing um, for, for this this morning. And maybe 
You know, your Sunday school days uh, are treasured as fond memories. There, uh, You can picture the church and the, and the rooms, the leaders, as if it was yesterday. My Sunday school was uh, every Sunday afternoon, a standalone event here at the Dawson Gospel Hall in Dagenham, a London City Mission Church. Mr. Wells, Mr. Kimball, Mrs. Brooks, Miss Mundy and Beryl, these were my Sunday school teachers. I can see them now. Mr. Wells with his bone-crunching handshake. Mr. Kimball with his wooden leg. That's a whole other story I'm not going to go into. Mrs. Brooks, no taller than four foot high. Terrible at playing the piano, but did it every single week. Okay. Miss Mundy, with all respect, the bossy boss of the girls' brigade. And Beryl who, as far as I know, did not even have a surname, but was just lovely. Okay, so there you are. That's my Sunday school. But maybe for you, Sunday school never actually happened. You know, you you came to faith uh, or whatever later in life, or maybe you're just visiting today, uh, and you never quite experienced it. Well, even so, I'm sure we're all aware uh, of the story of Daniel. Okay, or some of the stories uh, from Daniel, particularly Daniel in the lion's den, that classic tale of goodies and baddies, a hero in peril, a miraculous escape, and a bunch of hungry, cheesed-off lions. Well, today's Sunday school theology class uh, is a case of the lion's den plus, as we look at three stories from the life of Daniel. And as you might know, Daniel is a book very much of two halves. The first six chapters feature stories of crazed, dreaming kings, fiery furnaces, catastrophic calligraphy, and yes, those lions. And the final six chapters are looking at Daniel's dreams and visions, which are totally different in style and concept and have kept theologians gainfully employed for centuries. Well, the heroes are Daniel and his companions. After years of disobeying God, uh, the Jewish nation has been invaded by foreign powers. And the best of the bunch, the cream of the crop, the most educated high achievers in Jerusalem, Daniel and his pals, are taken from their homes to live as exiles in Babylon. And the main theme of Daniel is Christ-like integrity. Babylon was a multicultural empire bubbling away with alien gods and knowledge and customs and staying true to the one true God, the God of Daniel, our God, if you like, was a day-to-day struggle with life-risking consequences uh, for doing so. So let's, let's kick off as we see, first of all, eating from God's hand, eating from God's hand. And we're in Daniel chapter 1. Now, Emma, that's my wife there, Ems and me, celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary a few weeks ago. And we had very generously been gifted a lunch voucher at Tuddenham Mill. I don't know if you know Tuddenham Mill. It's an uber posh restaurant, uh, sort of not too far from from Bury. And on arriving, we were shown to our table. uh, And I asked the waitress for guidance as to what the voucher covered you know was it was it 10 pound there was nothing on there to say what it was for just lunch was it 10 20 30 whatever it might be well she came back and said to us well it covers everything there's no limit we can eat whatever we wanted we can spend however much we wanted only drinks had to be paid for well what would you do in my position 
Seven courses, absolutely right. Yeah, we did think, mate, I mean, your guys had a curry tonight. If the waiter comes and said, you can have whatever you want, spend whatever you like, eat whatever you want, what would you do? Well, it did cross our minds to order the whole lot, all the starters, all the main courses, all the desserts, and stay there for a few weeks. Okay, but we didn't do that. I won't say what we did do. You can ask me afterwards. Well, our friend Daniel, he had similar menu choices to make. Okay, in the first chapter, we find that he could eat from the king's table. Enjoy the best Michelin star food and vintage wines from the vast Babylonian empire. Or eat veg and drink water. That was the choice he had. Now at this point, Daniel is a young teenager. He is of noble stock, possibly from a royal family. He is physically strong, healthy, a good-looking chap. Exactly the type that King Nebuchadnezzar was looking for to train up in the Babylonian culture, to then play a prominent role in government. He and his three pals are summoned to the palace. They have their names changed from their Jewish names they were born with to pagan Babylonian names. And this was really important because in ancient times and cultures, uh, names are intrinsically linked to identity. This really mattered. They were fast-tracked into the Babylonian indoctrination program. And this was all dodgy stuff, dark spiritual practices and dodgy customs, not great by any means. And during their training, the king said that they were only to be fed the best food directly from the king's table, the best food and the best wine. And this is where Dan and his pals went, nope, nope, we're not up for that. So hang on a minute, let's just back track. They're okay with having their names changed. Important though that is. They're okay with even going through this Babylonian induction course. Maybe they had little choice, but they still said, well, okay, we'll do that. They were even okay with serving diligently and brilliantly the king who had conquered their country and forcibly taken them into exile. So what's so special about the food? Why did Daniel say this? But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. Well, there's it's not, it's not really a definitive answer in some respects. Um, the food and the wine from the king was possibly defiled, and that could be the key word, by being offered to idols. But surely that would have been the same for the veg and the water also that Daniel did eat. And that is no prohibition on the food and the wine being offered to them from the king's table under Jewish law. So that wasn't it. And Daniel eats meat later in the the passage, or in the Bible, or in the story rather. So maybe the answer was more symbolic. To eat the king's food would be associated with eating at the king's table, sharing time and space with him. It strongly suggested an allegiance, a covenant, a bond of loyalty to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel was loyal to only one king, and it certainly wasn't him. So what can we learn from Daniel's stand? Well, first we are to see that we are a chosen people. We are also, like him and his friends, a chosen people. We are God's chosen people. And we're living in a pagan world just as Daniel was. 
In John 17, Jesus is praying. And here are his words when he says that we are in the world, but not of the world. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, Daniel was compelled to serve in a pagan kingdom by brute force. Yet we are impelled to serve in a pagan world by the grace of God shown to us in Jesus. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 to 12 tells us how to live in such a way. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. How do you like that? Temporary residents and foreigners. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. They, even if they, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. Can you see we are here to serve God and God alone, to be salt and light, to be his witnesses through what we say, what we do and who we are. We are his ambassadors at home, at work and at play. And that means there may be times when we have to draw the line, when we have to be like Daniel, where we have to take a stand, where we may have to say, no, enough is enough. I'm not dishonouring my God. And that will be tough when that time comes. Maybe you've experienced that already in your home or your work life or your social life. But when that time comes, maybe for each of us, we can follow Daniel's example. Because I'm I'm trying to pick out in these stories things that maybe we've not thought about before. Uh, And for Daniel here, when he did this, you know, there was no big show. There were no heroics or brash demonstrations. Instead, we see courteousness and kindness working alongside an iron-like God resolve, God-given resolve. We look at verse 12, uh, verse 8 rather. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And then in verse 10, uh, verse 12 rather, please don't, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Please test us. It's interesting, isn't it? The courteousness that's in there from this very, very young man. And the second thing to see is maybe a bit more obvious how God, Daniel, trusted in God alone. Daniel trusted in God alone. He showed the king that to take the best that the world has to offer pales into insignificance when accepting what God has to offer. Daniel and his pals resolved to honour God and their trust was repaid as God honoured them. They thrived. They prospered. They learnt skills and knowledge, albeit through this Babylonian induction course, that would mean they could speak for God in the later years to come. They trusted their heavenly king while serving their earthly king. And they, like us, are ambassadors in an alien world. They trusted the hand of God who fed them.
So let me move on to chapter 5, reading God's hand. And the book of Daniel is made up, if you like, of snapshots of Daniel's life. We see him interpret dreams and so rise to a position of high prominence in the kingdom. Successive kings come and go and the decades pass, but Daniel remains true to his God as the exile continues. But as we reach chapter 5, it seems that maybe Daniel is a forgotten older man. The latest king, Belshazzar, throws a party, and boy, can this guy party. When the exile happened, not only were Daniel and his mates taken, but also the gold and the silver goblets from the temple in Jerusalem were also nabbed. And these goblets were called for by Belshazzar at this party to furnish the drunken revelry for him, for his family, and the thousand nobles attending as they praised and sang worship to their pagan gods. But then suddenly the mood changes. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near to the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. What a fabulous picture that is. And what dramatic detail. You know, if you're going to write a message on a wall, do it by the lampstand where everybody can see it. Okay, very important. Okay, uh, you know, and, and just see, it's just, it's just, the, if you see pictures of this, even, even there, I think you can see a, uh, it's just the disembodied fingers of the hand, uh, the text says. There's not even the rest of the hand that was writing on the wall. No wonder, no wonder that all colour drains from the king's drunken face and the songs are replaced by the sound of royal knees knocking. Belshazzar calls for his astrologers, his diviners, his enchanters and wise men, but they are unable to understand the words and what they mean. Then the queen, probably the queen mother actually, hears the commotion. I always imagine her trying to have a quiet night in, avoiding the raucous party, but being unable to resist when the communal singing turns to shrieks and screams to come and find out what's going on. And she has the answer. It's Daniel. Remember him, she says? Good at the dream stuff. Great at problem solving. Handy with an anagram. Why don't you get him to come along and tell you what the writing means? So Daniel is summoned, and we see just how forgotten he has become. Here we go. So Daniel was brought before the king, and said to him, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligent, and outstanding wisdom. He's clearly been forgotten and in the wilderness for quite a long time. Are you Daniel? Daniel interprets what the words mean, and it's not good news for the king. He has not honoured or humbled himself before God. His days, his hours are numbered. That night he is slain, and a new king takes over. And again, it's worth us just looking at what Daniel's whole response and attitude is to this incident. Firstly, we need to always be ready to speak up for God. Daniel may have been in the wilderness for many, many years. His voice and his importance seems to have waned over that time. He is no longer looked at as a prominent person. But even so, when the time comes, he is ready and he is willing to speak for his God. 
and we should always be ready in the same way. Beautiful verse from 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I just love this verse. I've always loved this verse. You know, I love the simplicity involved, the attitude behind it. Always ready. And not always ready with a, a ten-point detailed theological plan of the salvation and atonement and justification. But, you know, just your own personal story of your relationship. We've got, you know, why you're here this morning, why you're going out tonight for a curry and why you did shoeboxes and all, all of those questions, you know, your own story of what Jesus means to you should always be on your lips because the time will come and when that time will come, are we always ready to share with gentleness and respect? And again, we see the gentleness and respect of Daniel as he reads God's message for the king. And this wasn't good news of Belshazzar, yet Daniel told the truth. He faithfully relayed God's message. There's no waffle, there's no soft soap, just the truth, regardless of the cost or the danger that that may have put him in. And like Daniel, we need to tune in to what God is saying to us. Because God does speak to us and through us. We hear his voice through prayer, through his word, through each other, in dreams and visions, and in that small inner whisper or shout that we hear in ourselves on a day-to-day basis. This can happen all the time, all the way through your life hearing what God is saying and then acting and speaking uh, on the words that you hear. And we know that's true because Jesus speaking in John 10, 27 says this, My sheep, that's us, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So we need to always be ready, always being tuned in to that voice of God. Hear what he is saying. Know what he is saying, speak what he is saying. Hear, know, speak. Sounds like a a COVID thing now, doesn't it? Hear, know, speak what he is saying. Thirdly, finally, we come to knowing God's hand. Knowing God's hand. We move swiftly from chapter 1 to chapter 5 to chapter 6. And here we find at last our pensioner Daniel mixing it with the lions. He's back in a position of high power. In the kingdom and in line for a top job in the civil service. I'm not going to say he was a Dominic Cummins of his time, but you get where I'm getting at as far as how high up the the political stage he is. This enraged the other administrators and they plot against Daniel. But they've got a problem. There are no skeletons in his cupboard. Not even a whiff of a rumour of wrongdoing. It says he is always faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy. So where do they go? Well, they attack his faith. That's the only place they can go. And the king is hoodwinked to pass a law not to allow anyone to pray to any other god other than the king. And the plotters knew that Daniel would never stop praying to his god. So the trap was set and the lion's mouths begin to water. So how would Daniel respond? Well, again, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, 
He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And again, we just see the, uh, the quiet resolve, the courteousness, the no big standing on the temple ship, uh, steps or in front of the king's palace and praying out loud. He just goes home and he does what he always has done, faithfully prays to God. And of course, the officials waste no time in grassing Daniel up to the king, Darius, who was then greatly distressed. He tried to find a way out of the law he had set, but to no avail. For once, this really is the law of the Medes and Persians. And Daniel is thrown into the lions. Spoiler alert, he survived. Okay, The God shuts the mouths of the lions. King Darius is overjoyed and sings a hymn of praise to Daniel's God. Now, there, I could speak for the next three or four hours on this particular classic story. There's so much there, the importance of prayer, of standing up for faith, of trusting God in the most dangerous of circumstances, just to name a few. And I'm sure you've heard many, many, or could speak for yourself and many other applications from that story. But I want us to see that today that God has delivered Daniel not from trouble, but in the midst of trouble. He's delivered Daniel not from trouble, but in the midst of of trouble, Because surely God could have shut the ears or blinded the eyes of the accusers. So they would never have known if it was Daniel was praying or not. But no, as unjust as it was, Daniel is arrested. He is thrown into the lion's den. And like Daniel, tough times will come for us. They may not be quite as dramatic, but they will be just as real. And when that happens, we can rely on God to always be with us. We can know his hand of love and care and security upon us in more ways than we can ever imagine. If I take you to the New Testament, just very quickly, we hear Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, and I, I paraphrase, he lists how he has been whipped, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, cold, hungry, and faced danger from more or less everything and everyone he meets. Yet here we are in Romans chapter 8, nothing in all creation, he says, will ever be able to separate him from the love of God. My mum died last May, aged 92. And we had a few short weeks to completely clear her council house in Dagenham. She'd been living there for about 60, 65 years. It was a house that I grew up in. Okay, for me, this is my home. 178 Cannons Zero Dagenham. This is everything about my being, if you like, is in this place or was in this place. And apart from alongside grieving mum, we also had the issue of completely dismantling the entire house to return it back to the council in a limited time span. And I found it harder and harder as the house got emptier and emptier and all those memories were lovingly taken apart. It was a tough time for me. When the time came, a week or so into the operation, we randomly, and it was a random search uh, from Google for a charity to come and take away the main bulk of the large items that we couldn't either use ourselves or redistribute or recycle. And so on the very last day, a team of blokes turned up to fill their large van. At first glance, they were all typical East Enders, large tattooed, slightly intimidating, about as far removed from chirpy cockneys as you can imagine. But there was something 
different about them. They kept calling each other brother and ended more or less every conversation with the words, bless you. I thought this was a bit odd as they manoeuvred themselves around my mum's small house. And then I looked at their van and began to wonder, transforming homes, transforming lives. After about an hour, one of them clocked my fisherman's mission car and asked if I had anything to do with the fisherman in the Bible. I told them about the Christian mission that I work for and asked them, was it any chance that they may also be involved in a Christian charity? Well, it turned out that they were all ex-drug addicts, dealers and gangsters who had found Jesus. The charity they worked for was financed by doing house clearances. And these guys were unable to live new, clean lives as they followed Jesus, mentored by the charity who gained the money from the house clearances. As the last piece of furniture was loaded into the van and mum's house stood starkly empty, we gathered in the lounge for an amazing prayer time. They prayed for me and Emma, my wife and our kids, and we prayed for them. And then together we prayed for the house, that it would be a wonderful home for whoever the council housed in there next. You know, tough times are real for all of us. We will go through times of grief and separation and very hard times. And we're not exempt of that because of our faith in Jesus. But we can always know his presence. We know he'll always be with us, no matter how tough those times are. He walks with us. He's very close to us. As I close, you know, we don't know if Daniel ever made it back to Jerusalem. Uh, No record is made of his death in the Bible. We don't know when or how he died. But we do know that he was a human being, just as you and I are. An ordinary person who worked, who God worked through in an extraordinary way. And God has not changed in the way he works. He still takes you and he takes me. Ordinary people in everyday situations. And he empowers us to serve him as we follow him and stand true to him. His Holy Spirit is for all of us, moving powerfully through us as we surrender ourselves to his promptings. To hear his voice, to be his hands, his feet and his lips. And maybe today, maybe today... Through Daniel's example, through the stories we've heard and God's prompting have challenged you to do something extraordinary for him. To be someone extraordinary for him. But if that is you, then can I urge you to go for it? Can I urge you to dare to be a Daniel? Let's pray. And let's just be quiet for a moment and let's just uh, let some of that stuff sink in. Let's ask for God's Holy Spirit to come and fill us, uh, to challenge us, to comfort us, to guide us. And maybe this morning you know that there is a line that needs to be drawn in something in your life. Maybe it's something you know that you're failing in, or maybe it's something you know that is happening around you, but it can no longer carry on because it's dishonouring to God you know that a line has to be drawn that cannot be crossed. 
just want to pray if that's you for for wisdom uh, for the correct attitude and how to deal with that but then for bravery and resolve to take that stand for God to not cross that line and to stand firm for him Or maybe you're in a situation this morning where you need to trust in God. Something you've been praying for for a long time. A challenge in your life or uh, something that uh, is just difficult and and, and not easy to cope with. And you know that God has the answers. And even though you may have been praying for many, many weeks or months or even years. Just to urge you to still trust in God for a solution, for an outcome, for a breakthrough. And to carry on trusting God. In God. Or maybe you know there's a situation that you need to speak into for God. Or maybe you want to just open yourself up to God and say, God, just help me to hear your voice and then be your lips, your voice, where I am, at home, at work, at play, wherever it might be, in the week ahead. Lord, help us, we pray, to uh, be ready to speak for you, to hear from you, to hear your words, to know your words, and then to say your words. Or maybe this morning you are in a very tough place, a place that feels hard and feels difficult and feels lonely. And you just need to know that God is with you, walking alongside you, his arm around your shoulder. Father, we just pray this morning, help us in whatever situation we're in, when the challenge comes, to take a stand for you, to draw a line that we will not cross, to say enough is enough. I'm putting God first and that's it. And help us to do that with courteousness and kindness that will give honour and praise to your name. Father, we pray for any of us this morning that in a position where we just need to trust in you, maybe for a situation that has has gone on for many, many years, yet trust in you, in your timing and in your perfect answer. So help us to do that, Lord, we pray. And we pray for this week ahead that there may be opportunities for us to speak out for you. In whatever that means, help us, Lord, to have that story of what you mean to us always on our lips, ready to share and and to give, as we say, the answer for the hope that we have. Help us to be ready to be share, to share our stories of your goodness to us. And especially, Lord, we pray for those this morning who find themselves in that metaphorical den of lions where danger and trouble seems all around, and it seems a very, very lonely place. Oh Lord, by your Spirit, come close. Give us peace, give us comfort, give us an awareness of who you are in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for this series. We thank you, Lord, for how we've been able to see your hand at work through these wonderful people, these wonderful stories. It would help us to see also that they were just ordinary people, Ordinary people who you moved through and did extraordinary things through. And help therefore all of us, Lord, to be those ordinary people who you will do extraordinary things through in the days and weeks ahead. This we pray in your name, Lord. Amen.